Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations, before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Yet, you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but in the evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is God's Word. Have you had a health concern where you've had to stare death in the face before? Anyone? Maybe you don't want to share. You can think about it. I've had a couple brushes with death over the years, some bigger than other ones, and I'll tell you that in this last year, I went into the doctor for something that I thought was pretty uh, normal, and uh, he, I left when he said, I'm going to do blood tests, and we're, I'm ordering an MRI on your brain. Wow. I know that I'm looking out here at the crowd and online, and people listening here, I see you, and you have gone in for those tests before, and they're scary, right? They give you a chance to look death in the face and to say, what am I doing here and how much longer do I have? And in the words that we just heard from a psalm of Moses, one of the only psalms that we know of that he wrote, he said it too. I remember going in and those days before the MRI, those are the longest days of your life, aren't they? Before the tests, thinking what could it be? And those minutes... When you go in to, to get your MRI done, if you've had an MRI, I hope you're not claustrophobic because it's just you and that machine with plastic and metal all around you and you get kind of put into that room all by yourself and those are the longest minutes of your life. Just thinking. Just you and your thoughts. And the hours after it when you're waiting and you're looking at your watch and you're saying, come on. And the doctor, hasn't he gotten these? Is, is he going to tell me what's up, what's going on? Those are the longest hours. And during that time, maybe you, like me, were thinking, what have I been doing with my days? Like Moses says in the Psalm, verse 12, did you hear that? Teach us to number our days aright, that we might gain a heart of wisdom. 
God, teach me to make more out of my days because up to this point, I don't know if I've been using all my days the way that you've asked me to be using them and I haven't been using them to the fullness of the extent that you've given them to me and God, my family, have I been loving them the way that you've asked me to fill my days with love and compassion and you know, formative formative conversations with my children or my friends that I, you know, and my friends, Lord, teach me to be a friend like you because up to this point, I haven't really thought seriously about it now that I'm staring death in the face. And my faith, God, have I really been taking that seriously all of these years and all of these days or whatever that I've been doing with my faith? You might have had a health scare or maybe a brush with death or maybe you've had something in life that has just made you um, have to take an inventory of your life. And if you have, well, or if you have not, then a new year is a good time to do that. And the words that you just heard in this psalm is a good place to start. Because Moses has had more than one brush with death. And he looks at his life, perhaps written at the end of his life, as he's overlooking a land, the promised land, which is um, Israel, in the future, but he's looking over at Mount Nebo, modern-day Jordan, and he's looking over it, and he's thinking about his life, his journey with his people, and sometimes a journey will help us to process and, and to, to filter life, and he's filtering life, and he's meditating on the, the truths that God's in his spirit are giving him, and here are the three places that we'll go tonight, and we'll learn from this psalm. Number one, life is short. Number two, eternity is long. And number three, make God's resolution your resolution. That's what Moses is teaching us tonight through the work of the Holy Spirit in Psalm 90. So let's go there. First of all, life is short. Life is short. Um, Moses learned this uh, because he's seen many people pass away up to this point. Of course, Moses was that leader that God appointed to take his people out of Egypt, out of slavery. He led the Hebrew people, people out of slavery into the desert. And as soon as they got into the desert, they rebelled against God. In fact, they set up a golden calf and they said, this is the God that's gotten us out of Egypt, not the Lord God. Moses comes down from the mountain, he splashes the commandments, and he says, no! And God says the consequence for this it's sad, but the consequence for this is going to be this whole generation, Moses, your whole generation, they're not going to get to enter the promised land. And so Moses led his people through the desert for 40 years. A whole generation passed away, and some you know, scholars will estimate there was about a million people. That's, that's, uh, that's an estimate, and if you do the math, that's 80 funerals a day for 40 years. Moses knew death. And so did his people. Life is short. And the consequence of rebellion for Moses was that he would see many people die. Verse 3 says, You turn people back to dust, saying, Return to dust, you mortals. This verb that's used here in the Hebrew is the verb that's used for a flash flood. A flash flood comes up real fast. You don't know. Even, even if you get a warning, you can't get out in time. If you're in your car on a street, flash flood takes you out. And then he uses this picture of life, of life that springs up in the desert. It's a desert flower that comes up in the morning, and by the time it's the afternoon, the heat has hit it and burnt it, and it's gone, just like that. Do you know about how short life is? I'm looking out tonight, and I see you, and I know that some of you have lost loved ones. And I don't care if it's, it's been a loved one who has lived 
80, 90 years, you still say what? I wish that I could have that time with them. I wish they could have had it a little bit longer. This past year, I had a pastor friend whose baby didn't even make it into this world. That's how quick life is snatched away. Just like that. Just like a wildflower. Just like a, and there's no, there's no knowing in the future when that day comes for you and me. So, he says, our lives are short, and in verse 10, he says, our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. Another way of saying that we're gone. Last year, we've said goodbye to loved ones, and in a couple of moments, we're going to pray a prayer of thanks for their life that they have, God blessed us with right here in the congregation. In the Austin area, we have a million, about a million people. In the world, estimates say there's 7.7 billion people. Every day, according to the statistics, 151,000 people pass away. Every year, over 55 million people pass away. Life is short, and in the words of, well, it's accredited to Benjamin Franklin, the only thing in life for certain is what? And taxes, I heard it, okay, good. And taxes, death and taxes. Life is short, and, and Moses is telling us to take inventory. And he says another thing about, about life that we, that we should know is, he says, life is short, but eternity is long. He says, um, if we only knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you, verse 11. Moses knew God's anger too. And did you know that Moses was a murderer? He murdered somebody in Egypt out of retaliation for brutality against his own people. He fled away from that. God wasn't just angry about that. God was angry about something else in Moses' life. Moses stood there. Maybe he's writing Psalm 90 as he's thinking about this. And in many, many years before or a few years before, he and God's people were in the desert. And as they're going around, God's providing for them. You remember quail and manna? He brought forth water a couple of times. Well, one of those times, Moses and God's people were out of water. And the people were saying, they were complaining and saying, we don't have any water. Why, why did God bring us out here to, to, to die? And so God came to Moses and he said, in this instance, he said, speak to this rock over here. And when you speak to it, water will come flowing out of the rock. For your people, I will provide. And you know what Moses did instead? He got all of the people together in a big assembly. And right there at that rock that God told him to speak to, so water would come out, Moses said to the people, he said, you wicked people, must we bring water out of this rock for you? Did you hear what he did there? He put himself in God's place. And instead of talking to the rock like God told him to do, he took his staff and he hit the rock. Now God allowed water to come flowing out, but God said, hey, come over here. What you did back there? That was wrong. That was rebellion. You were putting yourself in my place, and he said, guess what? The consequence is you're not going to enter the promised land. And if I were Moses, this is the way that I would take that. I would think, are you kidding me? After all of these years, a little misdemeanor, and, and you tell me that I can't enter the promised land? You, you know, you called me, and I said, I don't think so, and then you said, but I'm going to be with you, and so I went along with you, and then that whole, like, Red Sea thing where I, the, the water split, and the people went through. I, I was, the, like, the leader of all of that, and then I put up with all of your people for all of these years, and here, after one little thing where I hit a stone instead of talk to it, who knows the wrath 
of God? Who knows the wrath of God? Moses, who are you to know how I operate? God is saying. And I bring this up because I, we have to be very careful today in the way that we use our language with God. Because I hear it, not just from the outside world, but I hear it within the church too. You hear people say, well, I don't believe in a God that would do such and such. Or, I don't believe that God would ever allow fill-in-the-blank to happen. This isn't something that's very popular, but well, I'll, I'll get to it, but I, our minds are not like God's mind. This is part about eternity and life that we have to come to grips with. In Jeremiah 18, there's a prophet, Jeremiah, that God says, go to this potter's house, and at the potter's house, I'm going to show you how I work. Well, Jeremiah goes to the potter's house. And of course, the potter is working with that mud and water, and he's forming things and clay jars out of it. And God says, you are the clay, and I am what? The potter. And, and, and you know how clay works, if you've ever even worked with it, and you can put yourself in Jeremiah's shoes. You see the potter? working with that clay as it spins around, he puts his finger in right here and he makes a whole new shape out of it. The potter puts a couple shapes in and then he says, oh, no, no, no. And what does he do? Smashes the clay. It goes right back down. Starts all over. He can put that clay in his hand and smash it and he can do whatever he wants with it. And you know what, my friends? I am not God and I'm not speaking as God from up here. But you and I, from pulpit to pew, we are clay. And I'm not going to try to convince you about what God has in mind. I even try to refrain from telling you exactly in your life what God's will is in every instance because I am not God. God is the potter. And we're, we're like clay. You and I have the mind of clay compared to God, God, the potter. The clay doesn't come around and say, well, I know what the potter has in mind, or I know that the potter would never do such and such. Would it? The only way that I would know what the potter had in mind would be what? Is if the potter wrote a correspondence with me. And the potter said to me, in clay language, in my own language, and he would say to me, this is how I work, because you're clay, you really don't know me, I'm, I'm the potter, and and I'm going to put this in your own terms, but this is how I work. And this is what I've done. And this is what I will do. If he would even grant me that, that would be a mercy and that would be a grace. But you know what? God has done that. He's made a correspondence with us. He's written us a letter in clay language. In Isaiah 55, another Old Testament, we're really in the Old Testament tonight. In Isaiah 55, there's this verse that I get stuck on. When I'm, when I'm struggling with how, how God, why would he allow this in my life or, or why would he allow this to happen? Is he really the way that he describes? Well, in Isaiah 55 it says, his ways are higher than my ways and his thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And so to say, I don't believe in a God that would do such and such or I don't believe that God would allow so and so to happen I would say this, of course you wouldn't, because guess what? You don't have the mind of God. His ways are higher than your ways. 
and his thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And if you bring this to full conclusion, if you look at the story that God gives us about humanity, I never would have done any of this his way. I never would have guessed after the man and woman fell into sin. I never in a million years would have said, oh, the next thing that's going to happen is the whole earth is going to be cursed. You see, his ways are higher than my ways. I never would have thought about that. But he did. And that's the way that it is. Um, you know, if I saw some people building with bricks to the heavens, I would have thought, well, that's a really great building that's being built up right there. And I would have thought, never in a million years would I have thought, okay, I'm going to confuse all the languages. And I'm going to spread people out across the world. But guess what? That's my idea. But his ways are higher than my ways. And his ideas are higher than my ideas. I never would have picked Job to be the one who, although he's a great neighbor, he's really generous, he has great morals, he hasn't done anything wrong, I wouldn't have picked him to be the one for his family to die, for his possessions to be taken away, for his life and his health to be ripped away from him. But yet, God says, my ways are higher than your ways. I never would have guessed in a million years that the town's that Israel would conquer, and part of the conquering would be to kill everyone in every town. I never would have guessed that, but his ways are higher than my ways. And so eternity is long. Not because I say so, but because the potter writes about it that way. And although this is really unpopular to say in church, hell is not imaginary. And it's not a place that you go to party with Satan and everybody who had a good time on earth and didn't go to church. That's not hell. That's, Im that's imaginary. But what the potter writes about in this book is that it's a real place, and it's a real place in eternity. And the person that actually speaks about hell the most is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He, t he explains it and he says that hell is a real place and he compares it to a trash yard outside of Jerusalem. A trash yard where you throw all of your garbage and, and human remains and they would have a smoldering fire that would never go out. He explains it in terms of being a jail that you never get out of and he explains it in being in terms of being an outer darkness. No less than 20 times he describes it with fire. And... If he is being figurative with that fire, that's far worse than if that fire were real. Because what he's saying is, I'm trying to use the only terms that you know to describe something that is far more terrible than fire. And trust me, I'm as uncomfortable talking about it up here as you are hearing about it. But I would be remiss to tell you as a clay lump to another clay lump that I love you. And that part of eternity is what that potter says is real. And part of eternity is that it's really long, too. So, life is short. Eternity is long. I want you to do, uh, read verse 4. You can read it in your head. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. A thousand years in Hebrew is like the biggest unit of number that you can have. Back then, they didn't have millions and billions and trillions because the federal government wasn't invented yet. So, 
he uses the biggest number that he can, and he says, it's a really long time. He's trying to do a thought experiment with his people. Think about life and think about time, and then think about time compared to eternity, okay? And so for you and I, who have millions and billions and trillions somehow today, I want to do a thought experiment with you to get a grasp a little bit about how long eternity is. Okay, imagine that you have a pet parakeet. What's a good pet parakeet's name? Anybody? Pete? Did I hear Pete? All right, thanks, Rachel. We'll use Pete. Pete the parakeet. Pete the parakeet is your parakeet, and he is immortal, and he has endless energy, okay? And so you might be thinking in your head, well, that sounds like my real parakeet. Okay, well, you bring Pete the parakeet out to your backyard, and there you have a sandbox. And next to the sandbox, you have a bucket. You fill up the bucket with sand, and you pour the sand over your fingers, thousands upon tens of thousands of grains of sand, okay? Now, you tell Pete, all right, Pete, here's your job. I'm going to fill up this bucket. You put the bucket on the porch, and you say, Pete, I want you to take one grain of sand and fly it to the moon. Drop it off at the moon and come back, all right? So Pete takes one grain of sand, flies it to the moon, and let's say it takes a million years to get to the moon, okay? So he flies a million years to the moon, drops off the grain of sand, and he comes back. And you say, okay, now do the next one, and do the next one, and do the next one, until that bucket is empty. Okay, Pete, remember he's immortal, and he has endless energy, and he's doing this one after another after another until the bucket goes all the way down. After the bucket's done, you say, great job, Pete. I have a job for you now, okay? That's the bucket. Do you see the sandbox? And Pete says, are you kidding me? And you say, I want you to do the same with the sandbox, one at a time. A million years there, a million years back, the sandbox is gone. Well, after all the grains of sand that he takes out. And after that, you say, we're going to go on a road trip. You take him to Key West, Florida. You say, you see this beach here? I want you to empty it one at a time to the moon and back. A million years there, a million years back. Go from Key West all the way up to Maine. So he goes, and over time, he goes all the way from Key West up to Jacksonville, Charleston, New York City, Boston. He goes all the way up to Maine, and he says, finally, it's done. And after they say, well, that's the East Coast. Okay, come with me, Pete, to the West Coast. He starts at Mexico, and you say, now do Mexico all the way up to all the way up to the beaches of California, go all the way up to Canada, do it all. And then he says, now it has to be done. Then you say, okay, we have a road trip. We have a flight we got to go on. This little place I'm going to introduce you to, it's called the Sahara Desert. He looks at the Sierra Desert. He says, are you kidding me? He says, get to work. After the Sierra Desert, you say, well, actually, uh, the whole world is covered by mostly like three quarters water. I'm going to drain all the water. And now, Pete, you're going to finish by doing the rest of the landmass, okay? And he goes one at a time, one at a time. Remember, Pete has endless energy and he's immortal. And he does that. And by that time that he finishes the last grain on earth, a million years to the moon, a million years back, eternity has just begun. It's silly, right, the illustration, because really we have no other way to gauge eternity because everything in our world is temporal. We go from one year to another, 2018 to 2019, but this is what I want to say to you people and, and to myself too, is we get so wrapped up in the first two and a half seconds on the porch before we, right there, that's life. That's it. Just the two and a half seconds that we're taking our first breath to talk to Pete the parakeet. That's life in the, in the light of eternity. And this is why I bring it up. It's a spiritual thing. Why do we fill our lives with so much worry about what we're going to wear? 
about what we're going to put in our mouth, and, and we, we fill our life with worry in, in, that, in that tiny two and a half seconds, and we're like, okay, in this one two and a half second time, how much am I going to care about how, what other people think about me? And how full can I get my closet? And how full can I get my refrigerator? And, how, and, and what are people going to look at me and when they see me on Facebook? How, how long should I take in posing for pictures on Facebook? Because I know that people are going to think a lot about me, but you're thinking about the two and a half seconds of life, and you could be drowning out. I pray this isn't happening. You could be drowning out something eternal that God has in plan and in store for you. Remember, life is what? Short. Eternity is long. What are we doing in this short time that we have together before eternity? And that's God's resolution. Make his resolution yours, our final part. I never would have guessed in a million years on my own that the whole earth would be cursed because of one man's sin, but it's happened. I never would have guessed in a million years that, you know, a tower that was built would result in God scattering people or that a flood would overcome the world because of the wickedness of man. But God said, that's what happened, and that's what I do. That's my ways are higher than your ways. I never would have guessed that you destroy and kill everybody in the city that you conquer. But I never in a million years would have ever guessed that God would go through hell for me. That he would send his one and only son and that he would bring the wrath of God on him eternally. And that by grace, that message would come into my heart and I would know that I'm not the object of the curse because Jesus was made one. And that my time here on earth doesn't have to be lived out in fear about a God of vengeance and justice coming down on me. He has come down, but not on me. So when Moses speaks about relent from your anger, in the same breath almost as, I know your anger, it's like he wasn't there at the cross, but he was understanding what the person and work of God is all about. You have to punish. And his ways and his judgments are far higher than mine. I'm not going to judge because he is the judge. I'm the clay. But at the same time, he became clay and then he got smashed by the potter himself. So I never would be. And you never would be either. This is what Moses has to say. He says in verse 13, Relent, O Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love. That verb or that word right there, unfailing love in the Hebrew is kesed. And it's like the John 3.16 word of the Old Testament. It's the word that God came to Moses at one point and he said, This is who I am. When you talk about me, when you think about me, you think about Kesed. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. He used it in his own definition. It was God's calling card. Kessid, unfailing love. That we may sing for joy. Do you see what happens when you meet the God of unfailing love? It creates a life of worship. 
It creates a life of joy. It creates a life of gladness all of our days. Do you see how to number your days aright? Do you see how to make your resolution? You make it on the kessid, the unfailing love of God that says, from this day forward into eternity, I get to worship. I get to have a joyful response to this gift that he's given me that's by grace. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. He's saying, yeah, you know, all those years, they're going to be full of trouble. Even the best years, he just said a couple of verses before, even the best years are full of trouble. But he says, not when you have Kesed in your life, not when you have a God that has given his life for you, not when you have a God that has poured out his grace onto your life. He says, now you don't. You will have trouble, but it's like a trouble that you can say, you can brush it right off and you can say, I have life. I have peace. I can number my days from this day forward into eternity knowing nothing can hurt me. It's like you've become bulletproof through the gospel. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the works of our hands for us. Yes, establish the works of our hands. In closing, Moses is teaching us through the Holy Spirit that as someone who has received this gift, and if you're listening today and you hear that message about Jesus Christ who is your Savior and you believe it in your heart, your life will not be the same. It can't be the same because first of all, your sins of the past, the skeletons in the closet, whoever you are, whoever you have been, whatever you've done, can't hurt you anymore. And he says, now you have a purpose because your hands have work to do. It's not just like you and I, and some Christians have done this, sit on the rooftops and wait until Jesus returns. He says, establish the work of our hands. Get our hands dirty and messy with the work ahead. You know, I talked about hell earlier. That's why we share the gospel from one clay lump to another. Not because we believe it, but because we know that's what our potter has in store for those who have rejected the message that I'm giving you tonight. So it, it changes our mind about the next year, the next day, the next week, how we're going to share our faith with other people. How can you not when you know that it's a free gift and you don't have to do anything for it. You just share that message of undeserved love for every sinner, no matter where they're at. Establish the work of our hands. Maybe in your New Year's resolutions as you create resolutions to have a better diet or a, a better workout routine or I don't know to go gluten-free or whatever you're going to do to make his resolution part of your resolution because it says in scripture that God doesn't want anybody to die but for all to come to a knowledge of the truth and he uses you as part of that mission he uses as part of his mission his powerful word that he used with Moses the word that he says, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. And the next year, part of your resolution is part of your resolution to stop being so busy and finding rest around the promises that you're hearing tonight, not just in church, but in your devotion life. He says, take and eat, take and drink. This is my body, this is my blood. Will your resolution in the new year be less about Finding God in the big things or the circumstances of life that come up and they go down, they come up and they go down, and you're happy with God, then you're sad with God. But instead, to believe his promise when he says, I'm present right here in my scripture, right here in my word. I'm present right there in your baptism. I'm present right there in the supper that I give you. 
And I want you to find me there because there you find my promises that go on into eternity. Is, your, is that part of your resolution? Is part of your resolution, Romans 12, that says that in view of God's mercy, make your whole life a sacrifice to God. That you can, and I don't know every place that you can be in your work, in your play, in your home, in your school or whatever, but that you make your resolution to be the hands and feet of Jesus to the people who don't know Jesus, but also to the people who have been disenfranchised or pushed to the margins. The very people that Jesus says in Matthew 25 when at the end of time he comes back and says, you came to prison and you visited me. You, I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was hungry and you fed me. And they said, no, I didn't do that for you. And he said, yeah, you did. Because when you did it for the least of these, you see you did it for me. Romans 12, to make your whole life a living sacrifice. In closing, I have to tell you, um, because I started by telling you I had a health concern that everything checked out. Everything's okay. I can rest easy for now. But that still doesn't mean that life isn't short. And because life is short, whether we have one more year, 2019, 50 more years or 90 more years, if God gives us the strength to make his resolution your resolution, and his resolution is to keep you close to him, now and forever. Amen.